Welcome to Behind Enemy Lines, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Listen in as we go in-depth with beat writers that cover Tiger opponents. What's the vibe around their team? What are the matchups to watch out for? Who will win the game? All these questions will be answered. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to Go Tigers 247's Behind Enemy Lines. This is episode number six. And it's a big game this week for the Tigers, and so we had to bring the big hitters in. I got Robert Sellers with CougarDigest.com, the 247 sports affiliate for the University of Houston. He is the publisher over there. Rob, what's going on, man? Not a lot, man. Just trying to get through the year. How about you guys? Man, things are going great, man. The weather finally turned on us, and it's mm, you know, yes. feeling pretty good. I know Houston gets super, super hot. How's it feeling down there right now? Yeah, we got our first cold front last week, and everything you know was nice and highs in the upper 80s type thing. And it was about the we, – we only get a very short uh, group of good days down here when it's not too hot or too cold. But this past week was really nice. It really was good for a night game. Yeah, I know it's going to be pretty chilly in Memphis this next weekend. You know, on Friday night when the the, the Cougars come into town, you going to be coming into Memphis for it? I will not be making this year's trip, unfortunately. Well, we'll miss you, man. I, I'll miss out on the food up there for sure. Come on, man. That's that's what's <laughs> up. Hey, but you know what though, Houston, man, y'all don't play around when it comes to food. I love Houston and their restaurants. Yeah, they do have a lot of good options down here. That's true. All right, let's get into the game, man. It's a big game for both teams, obviously. I know, uh, you know, the Tigers come into the game 4-1 and one after losing their first game against Mississippi State. Pretty ugly game against Mississippi State. They've reeled off four straight wins. Houston comes into the game 2-3, and three, or comes into this uh, this game at 2-3, and 0-1 um, in the AEC. Um, kind of been a, a weird couple of weeks for Houston, man. What's the overall <laughs> vibe around the team right now? It really has been. There's a lot of frustration, obviously, with the fan base and understand with the coaching staff as well. I mean, I think, you know, we, we talked to Dana this morning uh, at the press conference and, and, you know, he was frustrated. I think he, he got the point across it. Yes, there's frustration. Yes, there's frustration with the fan base and and the players as well, but they, they feel like they're pretty close. I mean, it's it's looking at the glass half full, but he pointed out that a couple of plays, like literally two different plays, could have seen them be four and one at this point, which is where they were at one point last year. And and because they didn't execute and get that done, they are two and three, and that's something they got to face. But it, it has been a weird year. You know, they, they, they lost some guys to the NFL last year, specifically some guys on defense. And I don't think – I know myself, I can admit it now, but I, I wonder if the coaches realized just how much of a step back it was going to be with the guys that were replacing them. They weren't completely unexperienced they did a great job last year of getting corners in behind those two that went to the nfl and getting some playing time but it's it's been a transition they they haven't been the two dominant quarters corners that went to the nfl last year so it, it makes sense but i think they underestimated that a little bit in a couple other spots maybe they they thought losing a guy wouldn't be as big of a, a step back but it has been so this next question i want to ask you i want to be as respectful as possible about um uh, coach holgerson i know you know He's a human being and get, and can get frustrated and upset about how things are going. But over the last couple of weeks, man, he said a few things that have riled Houston fans up and have kind of caused people to kind of, oh, what's going on over there behind the scenes that we don't know about? I know he's come back and cleared some of those things up, but how are Houston fans feeling about the Dana Holgerson coaching job right now, and is he on the hot seat? Yeah, it's definitely been a talking point. And a lot of people – I mean, I think – 
the conversation has come up. Uh, the, the far extreme of it, of course, is people talking about getting him out of there. And I, I just, it's not a feasible option for them right now. Even if it were a decision they would be willing to make at the top, I don't think it's feasible money wise any, anyway. So that kind of died down a bit. And in the frustration, fans are going to, you know, I usually let them burn, burn hot for the night type thing the next day through the weekend, let them get it out, so to speak. And then, we start trying to come back on a Monday and, and clear a few things up and at least try to get it pointed back in the right direction. But the fan base has been frustrated by it. I don't think the comments from him have helped a, a lot because it's tough sometimes to take comments when you're already frustrated as a fan to take a comment and not immediately make your own assumption off of it. And I, to boil it down, I think Dana's not a great guy in post games, especially after he loses, he gets very, you know, he, he's human. I think his, his, uh, outward emotions are come from a, a place of, of real sincerity. I really think he is frustrated with what's going on. I don't think he's, he's mad or anything. You know what I mean? I don't get the, 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 the idea that maybe he's lost interest or anything like that. It, it's the, the method in which they've gone about losing. I think that's caused the worst to come out of him in terms of dealing with the media in the last few weeks, uh, losing, losing games because of, uh, holding penalties or, I mean, they've had two different, uh, Pump return touchdowns taken off the board this year already because of penalties. One was a little bit questionable, and the other one was just a legit rough on the punter. Like you know, we know that they go out and practice and don't teach these guys to, to rough the punter when they're going in to try to block a punt. But it's stuff like that all year, and it's not been one guy. It's been spread around here and there. Guys getting baited into pushing after the after the whistle, and then they get caught because they retaliate. It's just been a series of things like that. And at the end, like I said this week on the board, at the end. Yes, it will all end up coming down to the coach's feet. But you also have to expect these guys that didn't have these issues last year to it's kind of like the yips, in my opinion, in golf. You got to, I mean, th those injury, or th those little personal fouls and holding and false starts, stuff like that. That's one of those things that just comes. You don't know where it comes from. It just can come and then it just as easily it can go away. I mean, we know they're not out there teaching them to, to hold or to false start. I mean, that's the obvious, silly answer, but uh, something's got to happen. Like you said, he has to do something in some way. In the end, if it keeps happening and they have a completely horrible season, then, yes, at the end, it's going to have to sit at somebody's feet, and that's because he is who he is. He makes the money. That's where it's going to land. But I think I get the frustration. I think it comes, like I said, from a place of sincerity, but it's something that I think he's always kind of had, and I think it's something he's always going to struggle with. He's just not great in the moment right after a game, and that cooling off period doesn't seem like it's long enough sometimes for him. You're like, hey, man, take a break. You know, go <laughs> – <laughs> Go take a cold shower, then come in and talk to us. We're good. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I know Memphis fans watch the Houston and Tulane game pretty intently, obviously, because, you know, Tiger fans are going to be playing – or the Tigers, those are two upcoming opponents, you know, in the near future. Um, it's such a weird – you look at the you look at the win-loss record for Houston, and, I mean, when is the last time anybody's seen three overtime games in five? Yeah. five they brought that up games. again today as well in the press conference. Just – it's weird. You know, Hogerson says, I've never seen it before, and I get it. It is one of, Again, it's one of those weird anomalies this year. I, I'm, I'm the first to really hate someone say, well, they just hadn't been lucky this year. They hadn't got the breaks. Because it's not really about that. But Hogerson kind of touched on a little bit this year. You know, last year, they won a bunch of close games. The SMU game, when they won the, you know, the kickoff at the end from Marcus Jones. I mean, that literally was the last play of the game, and, and he, had they not won, ran that all the way back, it would have been over, and that would have been a loss. Right. And they had that two or three times last year. 
And, and that's just basically the, the ball is not bouncing their ways. Like last week when, you know, Clayton Toon tries to take in his hands and, and make something happen when the offense has been sputtering all game. And instead of sliding feet first, he dives head first. And, and just enough, you know, the defender was able to punch that ball out. And there was no denying once you saw the replay, too. It was clear that that was a, a fumble. And, right. and I had the unfortunate – uh, moment that I was actually standing in the end zone right in front of the two-lane fan base when that guy picked it up and ran directly at me. And I could tell the whole way. I mean, you could see what was happening. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it, it only added to the frustration. They've just had so many weird things this year. It's tough to really kind of put your finger on. So in this uh, opening game, uh, AAC match with that Houston had against Tulane, like what are some of your takeaways from this game specifically for Houston that – either is a concern for you or maybe just a, an anomaly. This, this was an anomaly. Like this is, this is what, what are the things you take away from and what are the things you just say, listen, man, this is a one game situation. Let's move on to the next. Yeah. To be honest, I came into the conference play starting last week, kind of thinking a lot of the, the uh, subpar performances and this and that, the struggles, the offensive line has had, I thought that would, kind of be attributed to uh, some of the non-conference schedule. And I know people saw Kansas and they saw UTSA and stuff like that. And But let's be honest, at this point, we can tell Kansas is obviously a little bit different Kansas team this year. I think UTSA has got a chance to compete for the Conference USA again. And, and I don't want to mean that Houston should be struggling with these teams every year because obviously they're trying to move up and, and better themselves. And that's something you're going to have to do. You can't afford to do that and have a successful program. But – the offensive line, I kind of expected them to maybe show a little bit better this week. You know, they, they weren't as bad as they've been, but they've not as good. They, they weren't as good as I think they can be. Um, really, for them, it's kind of started a lot with the offensive line up front. It's, they, they've had problems. Uh, fans want to see them take more shots downfield, but, you know, when Clayton Toon has three, four seconds back there and then he's already trying to figure out where his out route is or, you know, how's he going to get out of the situation – it's just tough to let things like that develop. And, and there's a, there's a, they had a big influx of wide receivers as well. In addition to Tank Dell, they brought in four-star Matthew Golden, who's been a starter from day one. They brought in transfer from West Virginia and transfer from USC and, and, and Brown and Manjack. And so people saw that influx of talent and expected it to, and myself included to an extent, expected it to translate pretty quickly. But the receivers still have some growing to do. There's a lot of talent on the team, better talent than they've had in that room in a while, but it's young talent that needs to, to grow some and get better at, at finding a way to get open or, you know, when the quarterback scrambles, working their way back towards him. You know, there's just little things like that they can still get better at. So uh, I think the offense is going to be a problem all year. I really do. I don't know that it's going to improve. Um, they really want to predicate the run on this year and they, they've it's something that he's been doing for quite a while, but people are really picking up and up more and more. He really wants to establish a run and, and they missed McCaskill from last year in that thing. You know, that's another spot. I didn't think they'd miss McCaskill as much as they did, but it's clear, you know, especially as some of these running backs have been dinged up early on this year that McCaskill's he's that guy, you know what I mean? He can go in short yards and he can just simply get it just off his, his size and strength. So, I don't know. I think some of the stuff they'll clean up, but I think some of the stuff specifically on the offense, the offensive line is going to still kind of linger throughout the year uh, until, you know, it, it was it was rough to begin with and they've suffered some injuries on top of it all, so it hadn't helped anything. Well, I was going to ask you, the next question I had to ask you was about McCaskill. Um, you know, all, obviously, man, Alton McCaskill was a beast last year, you know, 900 yards, almost a 1,000-yard rusher. I think he led the conference in, or he was behind a Cincinnati running back for touchdowns or something yeah. like I mean, just an incredibly productive player for Houston. Obviously, coming into the season, you knew you weren't going to have him for the 2022 season with his uh, knee injury. 
who has stepped in and tried to fill that role for the Houston Cougars and, and how have they done so far? Yeah. So last year, the guy that split reps with him was Tejon Henry. He was a guy that transferred back to Houston from Texas tech after a couple of years. And this is his last year. He's good. He's a little running back, really fast, really kind of jitterbug type thing. But he's also, I mean, everyone loves to tell him he can't run between the tackles because of his size. And he does a good job when he's healthy. But uh, Coach pointed out today at the press conference, he's had three ankles now since the start of the season, three sprained ankles. And so with with this coming and then a bye week after, I'd almost consider sitting him down this week and just let him get his body healthy before the second stretch of the season comes. But He's been in there, uh, and then also they brought Brandon Campbell, another former Houston area guy from USC that they brought back in after he was at USC for one year. He's done a really good job. He also he had a shoulder get dinged up, and so it slowed him down a little bit. But he runs really hard. I mean, I think the fans have noticed, and the thing people most like about him is how hard he runs. He runs really hard. He constantly falls forward, and as soon as he hits the ground, he's that guy trying to pop back up. He doesn't lay there, let nobody help him up. He's just one of those real high-energy type guys, and and so they have a lot of hope in him as well. Uh, Stacy Sneed is a third back that had a real great spring, and the coaches talked up a lot in the spring, and he's actually showed a few things. You know, he got more playing time this past week, and uh, he's really good out of the backfield. I like the way they use him. He's good, you know, catching passes out of the backfield, and he's a little bit different style as, as Brandon Campbell tries to just kind of almost bull through things. Uh, he's a little bit of a dancer more. He's not quite as, as jittery as, as what Tajon Henry is, the smaller back. But he's he's not necessarily straight power through the hole. He'll try to dance through, and then he's got that burst afterwards. So, you know, none of them are going to equal up to McCaskill. I think he's a special talent, and, and Houston should be very thankful he's coming back, knock on wood, next year for them going into the Big 12. They'll need every bit of him. But uh, I don't think anybody's going to fulfill definitely what he, what he would bring to the table by himself. So it's just been kind of running back by committee, and, and those have been the three main guys that they've used for that. I mean, obviously losing McCaskill is, you know, a big loss for the Houston Cougars, but bringing back Clayton Toon and bringing back Nathaniel Dell Jr., you called him Tank? Tank Yeah, yeah, everybody calls him Tank. That's a nickname from back when he was a kid, evidently. I mean, you got those two guys. You're in a pretty good shape on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Both those guys will probably be making money, you know, in the future playing this game. Yeah. how how you mentioned earlier that the offensive line has been a struggle, you know, protecting Clayton and um, getting him time. But when the, when he does have time, how are those guys producing on the field? Yeah, defense has done a great job this year taking Tank out of the picture as much as they can. He's still found a way to get a few catches here and there, and he seems to be getting a little bit more each week in terms of finding ways to get open and get a few more targets. But they've done a good job of trying to to, to blanket him and, and double him as often as they can and try to keep them out of the equation. But some of the other guys uh, just are young still, and you want to see them develop that ability to when, when the quarterback scrambles or after their route's done, you know, uh, when the route's done, you, you got to move around. You got to keep an eye on the quarterback. If he's moving, you want to come back. And, and, and they missed a guy last year, like I said, that uh, Jay Kurzlow was a guy, one-year rental they brought in, and he became that guy as the year went on. Matter of fact, he turned last year into – I know he got a camp invite, I think, with Seattle – uh, I don't think he's stuck after that, but he had such a good year, at least got him a couple of looks, and that'll give him an opportunity after. But he was really, really good late in the year, being that guy that when when things broke down, he found a way to make himself visible to Clayton, and he found a way to work his way back to him, or at least it didn't, you know, it, it didn't all fall on Clayton's shoulders, and it wasn't having him have to force things into small windows. So 
I just think it's it's a more talented wide receiver room, but I think it's not as mature yet. I think it'll get to a point where it's better than they've had recently, but it's just not there yet. So what are the matchups that you're looking forward to seeing in this game on Friday, Memphis versus Houston? Are you, um, you Do you think Houston is aware of Seth Hennigan, the quarterback at Memphis, and, and what – what he does on the field, like are they, you know, what are some of those matchups that you're looking forward to seeing that could, you know, sway the game one way or another? Yeah, I think specifically they brought up Seth Hennigan uh, in the press conference when they were talking about Memphis. Uh, I think that's someone they're going to have to obviously deal with first. I think it kind of similar in a way to how Tune works. Everything's going to start right there. Um, I don't know a ton about Hennigan, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume he's not as slippery as the Kansas quarterback and, and uh, some of the guys they faced the first few weeks. Although, sure enough, I say that. Watch, it'll happen on on Friday night, and I'll look like a fool later. But well, he did lead uh, the he did lead the Tigers in rushing last week. Yes, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm aware. Unfortunately, I saw that, and it's been a bit of a, an Achilles for the team this year. Just they're real aggressive up front with pass rush. You know, they kind of got the the deal going last year, Sack Avenue, and all that stuff. But they've learned this year a bit, like defenses, I mean, opposing offenses have done a pretty good job of of using that aggressiveness at times against them. When you get those ends start crashing down too heavy, they do a good job of recognizing when that's happening and then basically running it right where they were at. And so that's something they've had to clean up a bit from early on. And I think it's, again, it's something that they're working on getting a little bit better at. But um, I think specifically the matchup I, I'm, I'm trying to hope will be a good matchup is the O-line and D-line up front just because uh, – even though Houston's lost Derek Parrish, and that was a big loss for them. Obviously, he came out on fire at the start of the year, but he's done for the year now. Uh, so it's unfortunate they've lost some, but they've actually built a little bit of uh, depth up on the edges there and finally got some guys that they like. They'll put two or three edges out there at a time up front, just depending on the situation. So I think that battle up front's where it's going to be at a lot. You know, how how well can Memphis uh, impose their will on the Houston's front seven type thing in terms of when they want to run, when they want to pass and all of that? Uh, can they hold the, the pressure off long enough for Hennigan to take advantage of maybe these younger corners out there that, that can't hold as long as the guys did last year? So I think there's some weaknesses that, that Memphis is smart enough that they'll know to try to attack, I think. Uh, it'll be interesting just to see how, how it plays out. Can Houston get rid of some of the funk that's just surrounded them the first few weeks and and just finally kind of wake up, so to speak? It's really hard to pick right now what, what you think they're going to do because – They've shown they have better in them, but not this year, so to speak. So you don't know if the light's going to come on one week and finally they're going to show up, or is it just kind of how it's going to be all year? I think that's it. The, the interesting thing about these matchups that you discussed, and and as I've had conversations with other beat writers from other schools, it always seems like that's going to be the matchup that that is a make or break thing for the Tigers. Right? The offensive line has, um, even when they had, even though they when they were completely healthy, struggled to open up run the run game for the Tigers. Um, did a little bit better this last week um, against uh, Temple, but um, you know now they're down to offensive linemen, and um, mm-hmm. you know with uh, Jonah Gamble and um, Austin Myers are out for uh, Silverfield calls them day to day, but you know, we know right. what that means in coach speak. But um, you know it, it's it's interesting because what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with the Tigers is. Seth having to basically get out of the pocket very quickly because he hasn't mm-hmm. had 
the time to 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 go through his route progressions and things like that. So it's going to be interesting, man. Especially, I mean, Temple Temple hosted a a pretty awesome front seven, just like I think Houston is going to bring to the equation. So I think that matchup, that O line D line matchup that you spoke about, is probably the biggest matchup. And I think it's going to be the biggest matchup for any Tiger game this year is can the offensive line protect Seth and open up the run? You know, that that's going to be a big deal. Um, Seth has shown an, a, a willingness and an ability to to get out of the pocket and, and you know, even do uh, – even run actual called run plays instead of just scrambling – Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's I don't think it's a good idea for Seth to be the leading rusher for any Tiger game ever. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting matchup. I wanted to do a, a hypothetical with you. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say Friday night you're watching the game. At the end of the game, you get the box score. Houston has won this game against Memphis in Memphis. They've come to Memphis and won the game. What stat or what trend are you going to be looking to? in the box score that will show you this is why Houston won the game? Probably first, and it's sad to say, but penalties. I mean, they've led the league, led the country, if I'm not mistaken, the first few weeks or whatever, penalties. They were average, averaging double digits. And so not only penalties, but I'm talking third down conversions pulled back because of a penalty. And it's just, again, I don't want to bring luck into it, but they've had the worst timing to have some of the worst penalties. And it, I mean, multiple times this year, they've converted third down or stopped the other team on a third down only to have it, you know, the change renewed because of a penalty or whatever. So it's it's been frustrating. But the, the, first and foremost, they've got to continue to clean up. They were a little bit better last week, but they could have to continue to clean up the penalties. But I'll kind of leave that one out since that's a weird one. But I, I like say it. Pro- I like weird ones. That's good. Yeah. But I would say probably too, um, the, the rushing game, I would say. Uh, Clayton Toon can't lead the team in rushing, similar to what you're talking about on Memphis's end. And uh, you're going to have to have at least a couple guys get, you know, 50, 60 yards in there at least, so to speak, uh, for them to have a chance to get that running game going to open up the passing game. You know, it's one of those chicken before the egg type things. But unfortunately, I see, you know, a lot of similarities between all these teams that Houston faces up with in terms of the offensive line and the struggles it is to recruit at that level. It's just – that's the toughest spot, in my opinion, after doing this for a while, is for teams to get quality offensive linemen, specifically tackles, obviously. 100%. So if you are – I mean, obviously Houston comes in, and there's it's a veteran team, right? You brought back 10 starters on, on defense, Clayton Toon, Tank Dell, all these different guys. You've got veteran leadership on that team. Do you, in your – like, kind of put your prediction hat on for a second. Do you – do you think that the funk that Memphis or excuse me that Houston is is kind of going through right now, do you think that do you think that it'll continue or is it something that these veteran guys that are on the team are are going to try to how are they going to be able to get this team through this little funky period they're going through right now? Yeah, and we're at that point too, you know, that's been a speculation that's come up some on the message boards in terms of you know, how, how sound is the locker room? That's an obvious one that comes up this far into it, so to speak. But um, I, I think it's going to come down to it. A lot of these captains and stuff, they're back. They were captains last year. Like you said, you know, uh, Toon and Donovan Mooton. And, and a lot of these, like I said, a lot of these guys are, are the same ones that were captains last year. They did lose some talent, and that's fair. And I, like I said earlier, I think, you know, everyone underestimated how much of a fall off there was going to be with some of the guys that left. But, um, I think it's fixable. I do. Toon's an interesting character. The more I've seen him, the more – I mean, he is just really 
really good at not showing any emotion either way. Even when he's frustrated out there towards the end of that game, I, I could tell there was something that was happening. And I think the receivers, some receivers had run a bad route, but he's not that guy that's going to call the receiver out or put his hands up and this and that. But I saw him and read his lips. He was talking about shallow, something to do with shallow routes. So I think there's still a lot sometimes, and that sounds crazy, but there, there's one little missed assignment, like, you know, can really just throw things off everywhere timing-wise. So I just think, like, it, it's been the, the most inopportune times for them, and, and it's going to come down to the team trying to clean that up. Now, that was what one of the things that Holgerson said that, that caused a big backlash a couple weeks ago when he said, I'm not taking credit for that or I'm not taking the blame for that. But, you know, I, while he did walk that back, and I think that was appropriate after the fact, I kind of took it in the moment of, frustration and look i've been telling you guys about these penalties and trying to preach to them about these penalties for since the beginning of the season and they still can't get it right so i'm not you know he shouldn't have said it in hindsight i get that but um, you understood you understood what he was trying i, I to did say. i understood where the frustration was coming from his point but then like i said once he walked it back in the end i didn't even put as much on the board because you know i was saying look a lot of this falls on players they have to execute when they get on the field what they're taught you know and so a lot of people, of course, it comes down, like I said, I walked it back a bit and said, in the end, it is, no matter what. If they, you can't get him to execute, it's still going to fall at your feet at the end. So he knows that going into it. This is no surprise to him. So I don't know. I think they've got the leadership long, really long answer short. I think they've got the the leadership in the locker room that should be able to clean this up and hold people accountable to get it cleaned up. So what are your predictions for the game? We don't have to do a score, but in terms of the final score, is it going to be a – shootout offensively is it going to be a defensive battle like what are your thoughts and and for for Houston to win does it need to be a shootout or does it need to be a defensive battle? what are your thoughts on that yeah I don't think it has to be a shootout like years past for Houston to win they got in a lot of those and won some of them uh this year's team's not the, not the same I don't think it'll be a shootout uh I, I think I've overshot some of my expectations early on as far as what the offense is going to be able to put up Again, I think they've got the talent on any given play. If things work well, they could score. To, you know, there's there's playmakers out there. But that's easy to say and you're five games in and you're still sitting at, you know, three and two so or two and three, sorry. So, yeah, I think uh, – I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it'll still be, be kind of ground out, kind of similar to how Tulane was. And it'll come down late in the game. Who can, who can execute and make some plays at the end of the game? I don't think it'll be high-scoring, but I think it'll be close. Listen, man. I, I would pick Memphis, to be honest with you, if I had to put my money on it. I, I know that's not what you were asking for, but just in seeing how they've played this year, it's tough for me to put a lot of confidence in as far as I wouldn't put my money on Houston to win. Just you don't know if they're going to wake up this week or not. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely seems like at any given day it's going to click, and right. one week they're going to just blow a team out. But some, it feels like the games that I've watched with Houston there seems to be a situation where like one thing happens and it just snowballs. It just yeah, kind of snowballs. Yeah, it just completely derails them. Yeah, that's it's true. That's a that's that's something that, you know, I think every team goes through and I have faith that they'll get it back. I have a faith that they'll get it back together. Just hope not Friday night against Memphis. But <laughs> <laughs> after that's fine, right? Yeah, after that. Went out. That's great. Man, listen, I really appreciate it. Houston, I love I was grateful to talk to you, man. Houston is one of my favorite cities in all of the country, man. I love Houston. Um, excited to uh have Houston come to uh Memphis this this Friday night and play in a primetime game. Listen, Rob, thank you so much for everything and I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, definitely. Let's keep it going. If you guys do stuff during basketball season, hit me up. I'll, I'll be glad to jump in on those as well. Thank you for listening to Behind Enemy Lines. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in content all about the University of Memphis Tiger Athletics, hop over to www.gotigers247.com. 
Also, you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for our VIP membership.